came out with sets of numbers and I plotted them on pieces of paper. Radio waves, radio waves. She sees radio waves, radio waves. Astrophys brings in news, arrays and dishes get different views. Are you confused? Radio waves, radio waves, radio waves, she sees radio waves, she sees radio waves. Welcome to the Astrophys Podcasts. First of all, we would like to acknowledge Australia's first astronomers, the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, the traditional owners and custodians of the land we are on. This episode is produced on Yorta Yorta, Pangarang and Kaerna country. My name is Brendan O'Brien and welcome to the seventh year of our Astrophys podcast and our first episode for 2022. And here is your February Sky Guide. We always include a community service announcement asking you to wash your hands regularly, wear a mask if you can't socially distance effectively and isolate as much as possible, and as soon as you can, to protect yourself and your community, get that COVID-19 vaccination as we work our way through this global crisis. We also ask you to influence your local politicians with the message that we need to change our energy policies to move to renewable energy to mitigate climate change. Each month we bring you two fabulous episodes. On the first of each month, you'll get to hear Dr. Ian Astroblog Musgrave bring you his monthly sky guide, an astro treat for naked eye observers, telescopers and astrophotographers, and he always includes a tangent of astronomical wonder. In the middle of each month, we'll give you an interview with a noted astrophysicist, astronomer, astrophotographer, space scientist, or particle physicist. So, let's zoom over to Adelaide now to get your guy guide from Ian. Hello, mate. How are you going? Hello, Ian. How are you? Oh, I'm not too bad. I'm not too bad. We managed to survive the heat and been doing a lot of swimming. Uh, my brain still not a hundred percent engaged. I'm afraid. <laughs> yeah, look, I'll join you on that one, Ian. We've all had incredible time over our holiday season. We've still got COVID with us, but you and I can celebrate. And our listeners can celebrate uh, the beginning of our seventh year of the Astrophys podcasts. And so can you tell us, Ian, what's up in the sky for the month of February? Well, sadly, for the month of February, most of the planetary action is moving to the morning. So you're going to have to get up early to see some really cool things, mostly in the morning. The bright planets that were entertaining us for November and December have mostly gone. 
The sole bright evening planet is Jupiter, but I'll get into that in a moment. I'm going to first start with the moon, as I normally do. So February 1 is the new moon. February 8 is the first quarter. February 17 is the full moon. And February 24 is the last quarter. So if you're looking for constellations, deep sky objects and things like that, between February 1 and February 8 is your best time, and then after around about uh, February 20th, when the moon is no longer evening sky. Uh, apogee, uh, where the moon's uh, furthest from the Earth, is on the 11th, and perigee, where the moon is closest to the Earth, is on the 27th. Now, again, I'll remind you that after the planetary shenanigans of last year, Jupiter is the sole bright planet in the evening sky, and it's really in the evening twilight. It's quite low in the western evening twilight at the moment, and at the beginning of the month, it's setting in around about nautical twilight. That's an hour after sunset. On the third, Jupiter is close to the thin crescent moon, which will be quite nice to see. But then after this, and from around the, the Jupiter gets lower, and from around uh, mid-month, Jupiter is too deep in the twilight zone to be seen, and won't really be seen until around about March. Now, of course, when the sky is fully dark, uh, we've got lots and lots of interesting constellations to be seen. Uh, summer is a really good time. When the sky is fully dark, the figure of Nerezna can be seen striding above the northern horizon, and the tassel of his string belt has a gorgeous binocular and telescopic nebula in it. Nearby is Candaguna, and beyond that, her sister is Yugalari. In the Western Canon, this is the constellation of Orion, and of course I'll be referring to Orion's nebula, then the Hyades and the Pleiades. Uh, possibly in a later podcast, I'll talk a bit more about some of the uh, rather dramatic legends that go with uh, these three constellations in the various indigenous canons. Now, if you're looking south, the large Magellanic cloud with the tarantula nebula is almost exactly due south near the zenith, of course, you get the best view when you're away from uh, the suburban lights, but even under modest suburban lighting, the larger Magellanic cloud is easily visible, and the tarantula nebula is visible as a glowing patch within the uh, larger Magellanic cloud. Wilto uh, is rising. Wilto, of course, being uh, the Southern Cross. Uh, and between it and the False Cross, which is formed by the constellation of Vela, the sail of the ship Argo Navis, and Carina, the keel of the ship Argo Navis, are a wealth of binocular objects to hunt. Now, uh, we, uh, the Eugularia, uh, the uh, Pleiades, has its counterpart in the southern sky, the southern Pleiades, and this is a small group of stars around Theta Carina. This can be found a third of the way between Alpha Crucis in the Southern uh, Cross and the second brightest star in the sky, Canopus, the bright, uh, sky, the bright star which forms uh, Alpha Carina of the uh, eel. Yep. Uh, uh, the Southern Pleiades uh, uh, can be seen with the unaided eye, uh, but it's best seen in binoculars. Uh, you can also see it in a telescope, but it's a compact group and with a... a big telescope uh, you actually can't fit it all into the telescope eyepiece. So nice little binocular object. And of course, there's a lot of uh, interesting uh, territory here to explore. 
which I'll talk about in more detail in uh, other podcasts. But for, for the moment, just head out, get your binoculars and start uh, sweeping up from the Southern Cross. And there's so many things to see. You'll spend ages just looking at them. Fantastic. It is indeed. And uh, now let's have a look at the morning sky where all the action is. So at the moment, uh, uh, Mars is in the morning sky in February and starting off in the lid of the teapot of Sagittarius. Uh, now, Mars makes an attractive triangle with Venus and Mercury for most of the month and is readily visible an hour before sunrise above bright Venus. So on the second, Mars is close to the globular cluster M28, about one degree from this. Uh, but on the sixth, the real joy is when it's uh, close to globular cluster M22. M22 is one of the classical globular clusters, quite bright, looks really good in binoculars and the close, uh, close approach of Mars about 0.3 of a degree, that's less than half a finger width, the globular cluster. It'll look really nice in binoculars made and fit into uh, wide field telescope eyepieces. Yep. Now, uh, I've started off with Mars. Mars is highest and uh, it's and, uh, in the foot of the teapot, as I said before. Now, just below it, well, a, a bit over a hand span, is Venus. Uh, and Venus and Mars form a pair uh, and will stay relatively close together for most of the month, coming closer as the month goes on. Now, Mars is slowly brightening over this period, but at all times it's being outshone by brilliant Venus. Yep. Once we, uh, if you look at Venus in a telescope, you'll see that it's uh, a crescent and it will wax as the month progresses. And you should be able to follow this nicely in a telescope if you're willing to get up an hour before sunrise. Uh, a Venus will be as great on the 13th, when its appearance is like that of the first quarter moon. So that's very nice. Now, Fleet Mercury is joining us in the morning sky, and it's readily visible in the eastern morning twilight from about the second week on, about an hour before sunrise. Now, this is the best time this year to see Mercury in the morning sky. Mercury will turn up in the morning sky several times this year, but for most of the time, it will be quite low to the rising and very difficult to see in the twilight. But here, this, this month, we'll be seeing Mercury quite nicely above the twilight from the glow. Um, so, as I said, uh, uh, Mars, Venus and Mercury form a nice uh, triangle in the uh, uh, early morning sky. And uh, Mercury is its furthest from the sun on the 17th and then starts sinking towards the horizon. Uh, and it starts heading towards uh, Saturn. So Saturn appears in, uh, in, the, in the twilight late in the month, climbing towards Mercury. And then uh, by the end of the month, Mercury is a hand span above Saturn. On the, the uh, capstone of the month is the 27th uh, and the 28th, where you have the pair of Venus and Mercury. Uh, and the thin crescent moon will be above the, the pair on the 27th and below the pair on the 28th. And uh, with Mercury and Saturn below, this will be a very impressive sight an hour before sunrise. Uh, something to look forward to towards the end of the month then. It is indeed. Like I said, uh, it's going to, there's going to be some lovely sky shenanigans, but you have to get up an hour before sunrise to really see them. 
And if you're not a morning person, uh, it could be a bit of a struggle to get up. But I highly recommend that you definitely get up for the 27th and 28th to see that, see that beautiful massing of the planets and the moon. And if you've got a, a halfway decent telescope, getting up on the uh, 6th to see uh, Mars near M22 will be also very good. So we're talking about 4 o'clock in the morning, Ian? Uh, depending where you are locally, but around about 4 o'clock in the morning, yes. There you are. Set your alarms. Okay, and uh, what about a tangent, Ian? Do you have a tangent for us to kick off the year? I do indeed have a tangent for us. Uh, a quite bizarre tangent. So, you know, there's been a, a lot of interesting and weird things in the skies recently. Uh, we've recently had some very interesting unknown objects turn up in radio telescopes. But I think of the weirdest thing is this, that you now can buy non-fungible tokens of exoplanets. Yep. Now, you may be saying, what's a non-fungible token and why should I care? I'll talk about that later. But there's been lots of scams involving the stars. Probably name a star being the most well-known. Many people, uh, providers will claim that for a sum of money, and this can range anywhere from $50 to $100, you can get the ability to name a star as a gift to or in memoriam of a friend or a loved one. Yep. In exchange, you get a star map with coordinates of your main star. Uh, these are invariably faint, which will probably be at least binoculars to see. And the more sophisticated ones now come with apps which allow you to locate your name star. Which sounds rather cute, doesn't it? Naming, naming your, uh, a star after your girlfriend or daughter, Doris, would be really cool. But of course, none of this is legitimate. Only the International Astronomical Union can name stars, which they do very, very rarely. One recent example was the addition of 86 indigenous star names catalogues and four from Australian Indigenous Traditions. I'm going to highlight Ginan uh, from the Wollongong people. Ginan is the fifth brightest star in the Southern Cross, and it represents the red dilly bag filled with special songs of knowledge, which I think is rather cool. Now, there is a legitimate way to convert a comma's name a star, and that is to make a star catalogue. Now, for example, there's a number of star catalogues. The Tycho Star Catalogue star name TYC84781391 is Akinar, one of the brightest stars in the sky, also known as Alpha Eridani. Yep. Uh, now, making a star catalogue is not a simple thing. Henry Draper uh, did it. Uh, Henry Draper named uh, over 30,000 stars, uh, and uh, and if you want to do it, you can go out, uh, get a big telescope and spend hundreds of hours precisely locating thousands of stars, these thousands of stars and getting their designation. Uh, so, for example, you could, uh, if you call your catalogue Doris, you could name the stars Doris 1 to 10,000. <laughs> of course, good luck getting the astronomers to use this. For example, the Henry David catalogue catalogue stars on spectral type, and it's uh, a, a very careful cataloging. The Hibakaris uh, catalogue very precisely measures the distance to the star. 
So if your catalogue has a special reason for existing, people will use it. Otherwise, they won't use it. Um, despite having uh, a catalogue of stars, you can't go around naming Akinar Doris in your catalogue. Uh, you can call it BC1 in the Doris catalogue, but it's still Akinar. It's also the only body that gives official names to asteroids, planets, dwarf planets, and exoplanets, uh, which comes up to the NFT in a minute. So asteroids are given a designation, which uh, depends on when it's discovered, what part of the year it was discovered. So uh, an asteroid can be uh, labelled 2008 YN3, uh, when the, the position and the identity of the catalogue of the asteroid is confirmed, it's given a numeric identifier. And then after a, a long involved process where uh, people pose a name, it gets voted on, uh, the name has to fulfill uh, certain, uh, certain um, criteria. So, for example, 2008 YN3 is Three thousand four hundred three four two eight four three David Bowie, named after the singer. Yeah. Uh, and the similar process goes for dwarf planets and exoplanets. So uh, the new dwarf planets, Eris, you may remember uh, the process of naming the the uh, dwarf planet which dethroned uh, Pluto. There's also Hyamea and Maki Maki. And for exoplanets, uh, 55 Cancer IB is named Galileo, and 55 Cancer IC is named Bray, and the after Tycho Bray, and the other planets in the 55 Cancer I system are all named uh, after astronomers. The other scam involving planets is buying a planet. And various groups will say they can sell you a planet or a chunk of planet and give you the title deed. No, there is actually a 1967 uh, UN convention which says nobody can own planets or exoplanets. Uh, so the, the claim of the rapper Little Uzi Bird saying that he owns WASP 127B, the exoplanet, is nonsense. He can't own it. He may have a certificate from a scam organisation saying that he owns it. But no, he doesn't own it. Which brings us back, back to NFTs or non-fungible tokens. So what is an NFT? An NFT is a way of claiming the ownership of a digital asset. Uh, typically, these are images. So, for example, the difference between owning the Mona Lisa and owning a uh, original digital artwork is that you can actually physically take the Mona Lisa and hang it on your wall. A photocopy or, or a photograph of the Mona Lisa doesn't have the same cachet as an actual physical copy, an actual physical Mona Lisa. You can make as many copies as you like, no matter how good you like, they're still copies, they're not the Mona Lisa. But what about digital art? And there's a lot of good digital art out there. Especially there's some web uh, cartoonists who produce incredible digital art. Now, the problem with paying money for a digital copy of a uh, artwork 
is that anyone can go to that artwork, uh, click, right click on it and get a digital copy. Along come non-fungible tokens. Non-fungible tokens are a URL that points to a digital artwork saying that you own this artwork and it's secured by blockchain. Yay, blockchain. I won't go into any of the details involving this, but it's all part of, the, of uh, securing things like cryptocurrency. But anyway, for your money, you get a, a URL which says to a certificate which says that you own this digital artwork. Ha ha, you own the receipt. Yeah. You, 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 own, you have a secured a secured and digitally secure receipt. And this is most notable in people have been purchasing digital apes. There's this big thing around uh, owning a, owning in inverted commas, a digital ape. And some of these things are selling for incredible prices. Thousands of dollars, one particular digital ape has gone for over $10,000, over $10,000 to, to, you know, to own a, a uh, secure URL which says you have the receipt for a digital ape, which anyone can go to, right click on and have a copy. <laughs> Fantastic, Ian. Oh, really? So can I assume, oh. Ian, that I don't have to call you Laird Ian of Scotland and that Perhaps you don't actually own a square metre of Scotland. I do, in fact, own a square metre of Scotland. But let's go back to the exoplanets. Yep. You can now, now purchase a NFT of exoplanet. What this involves, you, uh, when you purchase an exoplanet NFT, you get a, a digital image which has a photograph of the uh, star which hosts the exoplanet, a digital uh, rendering of what they think the exoplanet should look like, some other data about the exoplanet, and whether or not it's transiting or not. And you also get the possibility uh, in uh, future releases to be able to mint a weather pattern animation. And so what you get is basically a nice piece of digital art showing you what your, uh, where your exoplanet is and, and what we hypothetically think about, think about it. And that's about it. And, and, and the, the end of the possibility to create an animation of a weather pattern. So how much are they selling for? I don't know, but uh, but I assume that like other NFTs, they're going to be they're going to be spending crazy money on these things. And you know, for most people, you go, well, why not? If people want to own what looks to be a uh, Magic the Gathering card with an exoplanet name on them, or rather, own the receipt to uh, a, a a digital Magic the Gathering card with an exoplanet name on them, why not? The problem is that to do these blockchains and to mint these uh, uh, NFTs requires energy. And the server farms that do this 
that do do the um, the blockchain burn huge amounts of energy and generate huge amounts of greenhouse gases. Yep. So they're kind of cute and people with more money than good sense are, are lashing out on getting these digital things, but it's doing real damage to our planet. It's yeah. nice to have an NFT of a world far, far away, but you're damaging the, our own planet in the process of doing this. So yes, you're going to be a weather pattern in phase two of this NFT release, but at the same time, you're generating more storm world conditions on our planet. And as you in Victoria, we in South Australia have noted, uh, messing up the weather patterns is not a fun thing when you get uh, the monsoonal weather moving through, turning your cities into steam baths and electrical storms crashing through, destroying trees and things. And uh, it's not fun. Yeah. So, um... Yeah, it's. You know, normally you go, yeah, let, let the people with more money than cents uh, buy an electronic receipt to something anyone can right-click on. But the very point is that for them to splash this, by splashing this money around, they're actually damaging our planet. And this gets me really annoyed, especially since it involves yeah, I agree. space yeah. and astronomy, the things that I really love, and you're messing up our planet in order to do something that's really basically very, very silly. Yep. On one hand, you can say there's a fool born every minute, but on the other hand, NFTs are doing disgusting things to our planet. Exactly, exactly. It makes me sad, sad beyond belief. We'll be doing our best here at Astrophys to keep people looking up, looking outwards. Thank you very much, Ian, Astroblog Musgrave. Looking forward to our monthly episodes, uh, encouraging people to look up and see the grandeur of the evening and morning skies. We've got lots of great episodes happening this year, and I'm really looking forward to working with you again, Ian. Thank you, Brendan. Thank you very much for giving me this opportunity to uh, help people see our sky. It's wonderful to be involved. And... This year, there's lots of good things going on, and I'm going to look forward to sharing them with you and your listeners in the months to come. Thanks very much, and Good night, mate. Good night, mate. All the best. Bye. And remember, Astrophys is free and unsponsored, but we're always very happy to recommend that you go to Rami Mandau at SpaceAustralia.com for the very latest and best space news. And in two weeks' time, we've got a wonderful interview for you with Indigenous astronomer and star formation researcher, Crystal DiNapoli. We'll see you in two weeks. Radio Wave!